Before we get to the show, if you want to listen ad-free, go to gzmshows.com slash subscribers. That's gzmshows.com slash subscribers. Hi, my name is Jonathan Messenger, and my job here is to tell you all about the alien adventures of Finn Caspian. This is the very first episode, but if you'd like to know a little bit more about the show, you know who it's for. Kids. Oh, I should tell you that sometimes I forget what I'm supposed to say during my introductions, so I have a robot who helps fill in. So like I was saying, if you want to know who the show is for... Kids. Yeah, that's right. Kids. What it is. Awesome. Okay, that's that's not really for us to say. And who it's about? Finn Caspian, the greatest hero in at least Galaxy K3980, but probably also K3979. Okay, okay. <laughs> that's enough, buddy. Oh, and don't forget VX49. That's a great one. Um, I'm pretty sure you're making things up now. And there's the blue one. Okay, the blue one. All right, now I know you're making things up. Anyhow, if you want to know more about the show, you can check out Episode Zero on FinCaspian.com or iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. But for today, we're going to start with the alien adventures of Finn Caspian, Episode 1, The Room Behind the Room. Behind the Room. No, 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 no. Just The Room Behind the Room. Behind the Room. No. Just, listen, just, it's called... The Room Behind the Room. Thank you for listening. Behind the Room. Imagine you had the most powerful telescope in the universe. You aimed its lens straight past everything orbiting your sun. The planets, the asteroids, the comets, and all that dust and gas clogging up your Milky Way, straight out past the dwarf planets like Pluto. Hey. Oh, sorry, Pluto, but that's it's just the way it is now. I know. Straight out of your galaxy and through to light years beyond. And you saw a planet that looked just like yours, blue, gray, and green. But it has a purple moon. Do you see it? The purple moon orbiting the blue, gray, and green planet? Look again and you'll see it's not a moon, but a spaceship. And if you train that telescope to get a closer look, you would see it wasn't just an ordinary spaceship, but a space station. A ship so large and round and full of life that you'd be forgiven for thinking of it as its own planet. Certainly the people, and especially the kids, who lived aboard the famous Marla 280 Interplanetary Exploratory Space Station, thought of it as their own world. And after you'd sat gazing through your telescope, admiring the beauty of such a technological marvel, with its porthole windows, through which you could see people walking, importantly, and funny-looking robots acting ridiculous and busy, soaking in the heavenly glow that surrounded the entire station that gave it a sense of being warm and safe in the great and frigid expanse of space, you would train your telescope down near the bottom of the space station, where you would see tiny pods, little ships that astronauts from the Marlowe flew down to explore unknown planets. And those ships would be clustered around its lower half like a pearl necklace. And if you were curious about those ships and you went in for a closer look, you would see one of those pearls, one of those ships was missing. And beyond that, you would see something not quite right. You would see a hole in the space station, a jagged tear in that otherwise peaceful sphere. And moving in even closer, you'd spy a broken door flung open, exposing all of that safety and warmth of the station's atmosphere to the cold black of space. And if you train that telescope even closer, you would see something even more surprising. You would see a boy, a boy of about eight years old wearing a spacesuit, and he's clinging to that door and fighting to keep from being flung out into space, floating free among the stars, which is really not as nice as that may sound holding on to the famous Marla 280 Interplanetary Exploratory Space Station. And if your telescope were equipped with some sort of high-tech radar, you might even be able to hear that boy 
and that boy would be screaming one simple word, and that word would be Foggy! Yes, that's right. Foggy. You thought it was going to be help, didn't you? You thought that little boy was going to be screaming help like he was some common storybook victim. You certainly did not think that a boy dangling into the unforgiving infinite realm of outer space with his life hanging in the balance would be yelling about the weather. But yeah, that boy would be yelling, Foggy! As if his life depended on it. And of course it would because a boy can't simply go flying or swimming out into space. Foggy! He yelled again, and this time, he nearly choked on the word because he could hardly breathe. He was so scared. And the effort of screaming made his pinky finger slip. And then the effort of trying to get his pinky finger back around the door handle made his ring finger slip. And now he was holding onto the door with just two tired fingers and a thumb. And even though he made no more effort, save the effort of holding onto that handle, two fingers and a thumb just won't do the job of holding the weight of a growing boy against the vacuum of space. So his hand slipped, and that boy let go. He let go, and he shot out into space, and he sucked in the oxygen pumping through his spacesuit to yell once again, his last chance, his last hope of being heard, and he yelled. Let's just pause for a moment, and I'll tell you a little bit about this boy before, you know, he's cast away into space forever. This boy's name is Finn, Finn Caspian. He is eight years old, and he is a hero. He is not the only hero aboard the famous Marlow 280 Interplanetary Exploratory Space Station, but he is just one of a handful when, in fact, the Marlow and the galaxies it explores are in need of a great many heroes. The mission of the famous Marlow 280 Interplanetary Exploratory Space Station is a simple one. Find a planet beside Earth, no matter how far away, where humans could one day live. Of course, while the mission is simple, the job is never easy. Every planet has its own problems. Poisonous air, dirt where plants will never grow, boiling lakes, horrible smells, dangerous aliens, annoying aliens, lazy aliens, and aliens that tell terrible jokes that you have to laugh at because if you don't, they cry and their crying sounds just like this. And there's no way you want to listen to that for more than two seconds. Okay, you can stop now. But this is the Marlowe's mission to explore those planets. And Finn, along with all his friends in Explorers Troop 301, was just about to become one of those very cosmonauts who explore alien planets. In fact, just a few short hours before your telescope discovered Finn dangling in space, clinging to that door, he was having a very different day. It was his birthday. Finn awoke early that day at 3 a.m., well before anyone in his compartment, and wondered why he had even bothered to waste three hours of the most important birthday of his life on sleep. That day was his eighth birthday, and he'd practically ignored his last two birthdays, eaten birthday pizza and cake like it was cardboard and Kleenex, opening birthday presents with all the enthusiasm of cleaning a cat box. He wasn't ungrateful, just focused, laser focused. He had been high-powered, heat of a thousand suns, mega-destructo, laser-focused on this birthday, this day, since before he could walk, since before he could count, since before he even knew what numbers were, when his mother would put blocks down in front of his little baby face, and his little baby brain would think, oh, there's a block, and there's another block, but I wouldn't go so far as to say there are two blocks here. Oh, hey, what's that over there? Before words and numbers and math meant anything to him. Before the number eight with its elegantly entwined infinity loops had captivated his mind, he knew this was a day to look forward to. He knew it ever since he first lay eyes on a robot. 
Now, the robots Finn knew aboard the famous Marlow 280 Interplanetary Exploratory Space Station were much different than the ones you may know. Maybe you've played with a toy robot, or seen a factory robot help assemble a car, or maybe you have an uncle with a little roving disc that bumps into walls and vacuums up Cheez-It crumbs, and you call that a robot? But robots to kids, like Finn? Kids living billions of miles away from Earth? The robots aren't servants or helpers. They aren't something to be programmed to do something you don't want to do. If you're a kid like Finn, a robot is your friend. And if you're a kid aboard the Marlow, on your eighth birthday, you get your own. And so Finn's birthday had begun early, but promisingly. He'd snuck out of his bedroom at 3 a.m., past his parents' room, nicking his mother's keycard off the small table by the door and heading out into one of the Marlow's many hallways. The station was still on the dark side of the planet it was orbiting, and there was a chill in the air. Finn's bare feet nearly froze to the floor as he followed the curving hallway counterclockwise. He waved his hand at the door, ducked into another compartment, and headed through into another bedroom. There lay his best friend, Abigail, captain of Explorers Troop 301. He gently tapped her on the shoulder. Abigail, he said. She didn't move, so he poked her on the shoulder again. Abigail! He was doing his best to whisper in a way that would wake her, but not her parents. Finn? What time is it? Said Abigail, not opening her eyes. He had to duck as her arms swung out, swatting at him as if he were an alarm. Don't worry about that, he whispered. Come on, we have to go. But it's early, isn't it? No, it isn't early, Finn lied. Are you lying? No, he lied again. Because it feels really early. Abigail yawned, threw her arm out again, this time clapping Finn on the back of his head. That seemed to finally make her feel better, and she followed Finn out of her room, and the two quietly made their way through the corridors, Abigail not speaking and rubbing her eyes. Where are we going, she asked. You'll see, said Finn. By the way, why are you dressed as a bunny rabbit? It was true, Abigail was dressed in bunny pajamas, fuzzy white from head to toe. There were no ears atop her frizzy hair, but it didn't take much imagination to see the resemblance. Hey, you're the one who woke me up and dragged me out of bed, Abigail said. I'm dressed like a bunny rabbit because bunny rabbits are awesome. And these pajamas are the most cozy pajamas in the world. And bunny rabbits are awesome. And it's a free universe and I won't apologize for loving them. Finn began to wonder if he should have let Abigail sleep in a bit. But once they reached their destination, he waved his mother's key card in front of a sensor. The door opened and Abigail's eyes opened fully. Her heart began racing. She smiled and she wasn't angry with Finn anymore. The two walked into the robot room and gazed about. Here, the station's engineers built all of the robots that allowed the Marlowe's many missions to take place. No one but engineers was allowed in, especially not kids. Lining the walls were dozens of robots, some of them half-built with wires like bird's nests buried in their bellies. Some were years old and looked regal, like retired soldiers who had served their people well. There were small robots built like insects used for exploring caves or mountains with difficult terrain. There were flying robots that looked like missiles or soccer balls with tiny antenna. Abigail crouched down to pet one that looked like a thin metal wolf. What do you think this one's name is? She asked Finn. I don't know, probably White Fang or something. I love him, said Abigail, and she hugged the robot. The sight of a giant frizzy-haired bunny hugging a small metal wolf made Finn wonder if maybe he was still sleeping. Hey guys! Finn and Abigail jumped in surprise. Standing in the doorway were their friends, Elias and Vale, the other two members of Explorers Troop 301. Shh! Finn ran to close the door. What are you two doing here? Why are you awake? How did you even know where we were? 
Ask the chief technologist over here, Vale said, poking Elias. Elias looked a little embarrassed. Chief technologist was the title given to him when their troop formed. When the troop went on their first mission, Abigail would be captain, Finn the chief detective, Elias the chief technologist, and Vale the master at arms. I may have been experimenting with some tracking devices, and I may have put one in your pocket when we were playing hide-and-seek yesterday, Elias said. And I guess I didn't turn it off because it started beeping that you were out of range and woke me up. I got worried, so I grabbed Vale. And I never sleep, shouted Vale. And all his friends shushed him again. Yeah, and we started looking for you, said Elias. And it turns out you're in the most prohibited place on the Marlow, and you're probably going to get us all kicked out of the Explorer's Troop, so can we please go now before we get found out? Not yet, Finn said. Why are you even here? Elias said. But Finn could tell that his friend was trapped somewhere between afraid of being caught and thrilled to be among so many robots. Psh, I get it, said Vale. You want to see your robot. With Finn's birthday coming up later that day, he would finally be given his robot, the one who would be by his side at every moment, traveling to distant planets, battling aggressive aliens, and solving impossible mysteries. Finn had come down to get a sneak peek. Have you even picked your book yet? Elias asked, gazing at a row of flying robots. On the Marlowe, books were how robots came alive. A robot fresh off the line is just a computer. Give it a command or ask it a question and beep ba boop ba beep ba boop the computer responds. Cold, formulaic electronics. But the ship's engineers knew they wanted the robots to be more than that. So they designed an artificial intelligence program that gave the robots a personality. And to create that personality, a kid had to choose their favorite book from the station's library and feed that text to the robot. One thing at a time, Finn said. The truth was he was still having a hard time choosing a book, and he wanted to see if glimpsing his robot would give him any ideas. Abigail had started to fall asleep, snuggling up to the wolf again, so Finn tugged her on the shoulder and pointed to the door on the back. She shook her head, but Finn took her hand, brandishing his mother's keycard again. You're breaking every rule, Abigail said. We can't go in there. You know you shouldn't. I'll watch the door, said Vale. For his part, Elias had already given in to his technologist's side and was taking apart one of the soccer ball robots to see how it worked. Finn swiped his mother's card, and he and Abigail walked quietly into the robot factory. Calling it a factory was shorthand. It really was just a single, tiny room where the robots were built. You had to first enter a small holding area and put on a protective suit so you didn't bring any contaminants like dirt or dust or sweat that could corrupt any of the robot's electronics. Abigail and Finn helped zipper each other into the baggy yellow suits. They had been made for adults, so the helmets tilted on their heads and the suits hung off of them. The two friends looked like astronauts shrunken by an alien with a good sense of humor. Once inside the room where the robots were built, Abigail hardly dared to move. There was intricate equipment all over the workbenches, and along the walls, hundreds of tiny shelves that held microchips, fiber optic cables, and all sorts of sensitive miniature technology that allowed a robot to function, but that a human could wreck just by looking at it wrong. On the far wall were completed components. In some ways, robots were like building blocks or Legos. You make one part of a bot, put it aside, build another part. Once you have enough of those parts, you can connect them in dozens of ways to make the bot you imagine. But both Abigail and Finn were drawn to the center of the room, to the long, thin table where, during the day, the engineers worked diligently alongside their own robots to build their latest creations. A heavy black curtain lay on the table, and beneath it you could see the shape of a humanoid robot. The curtain sagged around the shape of its head, its stomach, and arms, 
and peeked where its feet would be. Abigail looked at Finn and knew what he was thinking. He was thinking about his birthday party, when he'd finally get his robot. This one, this one has to be yours then, Abigail said. Finn nodded and stepped forward. He motioned to her and they pulled the curtain back. There, lying on the table, was the most beautiful robot Finn had ever seen. It was two heads taller than him and made of gleaming chrome, so shiny he could see himself reflected back like he was looking in a mirror. It had broad shoulders and a heroic face. Finn gasped when he saw that, though they were retracted now, it had wings like a jet protruding from its back. Oh my God, said Abigail. I know, said Finn. It's perfect. Guys, 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 guys. Vale came running in from the hallway. Someone's here. Turn off the lights. But there was no time. They'd been found out and someone was coming in. The door to the robot room slowly opened. Okay, so as you may or may not know, at the end of every show, I have to check in with my editor, Griffin Messenger, my six-year-old son. Griffin, can you say hello? Hi, hi, hello. <laughs> That's your signature hello now, right? <laughs> yeah. All right, Griff. So tell me, when the door opens at the end there, who do you think is going to come in? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Ben's parents. Say that again. Ben's parents. And and why do you think that? Because it sounds it's like a grown-up's coming into the room. And do you think they're going to be in trouble? Yeah. Who do you think should come through the door? Do you think the parents should come through the door? Or workers. You mean the engineers? The workers who are the engineers? Yep. All right, so here's one thing, Griff. Uh, one thing that you maybe didn't hear, which has changed in the first episode, is that at one point, there's one kind of alien that always tells really bad alien jokes. Do you know any alien jokes? No. Should we make up a couple alien jokes right now? Sure. All right. Okay, how about this? Um, what do you... How about this? What do you call an alien... How about, all right, ready, ready? I got one, I got one, I got one. I got one, are you ready? Mm-hmm. What do you call... An alien spaceship that is crashing to Earth. A UF. Whoa! <laughs> you didn't like that one? Okay. How about, um, what do you call an. a Martian? What do you call a Martian with. Okay, I got one. Okay, what is it? Knock, knock. Who's there? Um. Interacting alien. Interrupting <laughs> All right. So are you excited for the next episode, Griff? Yes. What do you think should happen in the next episode? Um, Finn should get his robot. Finn should get his robot? Okay. All right. We'll, we'll, we'll see if we can make that happen in the next episode. Okay, boss? Okay. 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 All right. Thank you for your time. You're welcome. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this show. If you haven't already, make sure you subscribe in iTunes or whatever app you use to listen to podcasts. Also, if you like the show, if you could go to iTunes and leave a rating and review, it really helps to get the word out about the show. And finally, we really want to hear from you. I, obviously, failed to come up with a good alien joke, but if you know one, or if you want to make one up, please go to fincasting.com slash contact for information on how to get your joke to us. And we're always looking for art, so if you want to draw something you heard on the show or you think you should hear on the show or any space, alien, or astronaut-inspired art, you can email all that stuff, art, jokes, any ideas that you have, to earth at fincaspian.com. That's earth at fincaspian.com. 
The Alien Adventures of Finn Caspian is a type drawer media production written and performed by Jonathan Messenger, edited and guided by Griffin Messenger with special thanks to Maria Villanueva. The awesome theme music you hear at the beginning of every episode is by Mark Greenberg, an amazing musician who was recently voted the nicest human in Chicago. Check out his website, MayfairWorkshop.com, and we'll see you next week. humans. Hi everyone, I'm Jeremy. I'm Autumn. And I'm Jasper. And, and we're, we're a GZM, GZM family. family. And we want you to listen to our favorite show, Becoming Mother Nature. I love the one with the Green Reaper and the zombies. Do you want to hear your family at the end of a show giving a shout out? Go to gzmshows.com slash shout out to learn more. That's gzmshows.com slash shout out for a chance to be heard on this show.